Hi everybody, it's your host Jamie here. This week you might notice that the audio quality of our show is not up to its usual five-star par. And the reason for that is that uh, we are currently sheltering in place due to the COVID-19 virus. And Jack is unable to join us in the studio, but we have him coming through on Google Hangouts and joining us after watching the movie. So you might notice a slight difference in our usual audio quality, but we wanted to make sure that we didn't let this interfere with our ability to entertain you. And we hope that you'll forgive this minor inconvenience for the chance to be entertained and elucidated. So enjoy the show. Michael, my rebellious brother, I need to tell you, this movie is about vengeance and smiting the sinful humans. Oh, Gabriel, you're missing the entire point. This movie is about mercy and love for the humans. Hey guys, God here. I just saw this great movie and I want to tell you all about it. And welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my angelic co-hosts. <laughs> I'm Jack Olander, and my name is a sponsorship for a generic brand oat cereal. Oat cereal. It's tasty and healthy. <laughs> Thanks, oat. No problem. And it's Chelsinea here, a low-level angel just wishing for my uh, my saber wings. So when I become an archangel, I'll have the wings of a, a mighty... I'll have the wings like a mighty shield. <laughs> so are you also going to use them to slice people's bellies open? If I'm lucky. All right, cool. And slice their abdomens open and, and their pelvic area open. And that just just that place, just right there. You know, like angels do. Yeah. Well, guys, this week we watched 2010's Legion. Not to be confused with the television show, also called Legion. Or the television spinoff of this movie called Dominion. But that's another story. Uh, this film was directed by Scott Stewart. It stars a host, an angelic host of actors, including Paul Bettany, Kevin Durant, Dennis Quaid, Adrienne Pilecki, Kate Walsh, Willa Holland, Doug Jones, Tyrese, etc., etc. But before we get too deep into it, I think Chelsea has assembled a summary from the scriptures of this film. That's right. Here's a summary for Legion. This story starts with a prophecy. It, it foretells of one day when the entire world will be covered in darkness. Oh, finally. <laughs> And the fate of mankind will be decided. You know, God's a little wishy-washy on the details. Uh, they're, they're not sure which way they want to go. They, they're kind of ambivalent about the whole humanity thing. The whole creation. Yeah, like, he really wants to kill us all, but he's only, like, one small act away from changing his mind. So, the story goes that God's a little P.O.'d at humankind understandably am i right he's just tired of all the bullshit and he want he's lost faith and he wants to just exterminate all those pesky humans 
and the fate of all humankind rests on Charlie's shoulders, the pregnant waitress at the good old truck stop Paradise in Paradise Falls. Because Perdition would have been a far too on the nose name. <laughs> or Armageddon Rising. <laughs> Uh, Good so, name for a restaurant, though. Yeah. For some reason, if her baby lives, humankind gets another chance. But if her baby dies, it's just the end. Uh, that's just all they wrote for us humans. Why is that the case? Who knows? Nobody knows. Not even God. Yeah. And uh, Omniscient my ass. <laughs> so, the entire movie... The our cast of characters, will, which who will discuss later, are holed up in this diner truck stop at Paradise Falls, trying to withstand the legions of possessed humans. They are possessed with the lower angels who are trying to come to kill Charlie's baby. And it, if it's still inside Charlie, well, that's just her bad luck. Yeah, that's fair. Meanwhile, her her friend Jeep, the son of the diner owner, Bob... She's friends with a Jeep? No, that's the name of her guy friend. Oh, it's like a product placement thing. I guess so. So he, he's, he's all into protecting her, trying to look out for her. He, he really wants to, you know, get in on that, but she's just not so sure about him. <laughs> So, uh, he's there protecting her. There's a bunch of other people who have gotten lost. It seems like Paradise Falls collects the lost people of the world, and they end up in this diner. So they're all holed up there with all the guns that Michael brought them from L.A. <laughs> that actually tracks. And they are just mowing down these legions of possessed humans that come to try to kill Charlie and her baby. And they don't seem to have a lot of remorse for doing it. Eventually, Gabriel comes down to smite Michael, who's a rascal and is going against what God wants him to do, which is kill all humans. Don't forget those sweet horns that herald Gabriel. Yeah. Toot! <laughs> Toot! Sounded more like, uh... <laughs> oh, like more of an inception? <laughs> or kind of or like... Yeah. Exactly. Just like... <laughs> and now we've lost every listener. <laughs> <laughs> and, um... Michael and Gabriel face off against one another in the diner and people are dying left and right just kind of like popcorn humans you know popcorn oh. popcorn death <laughs> we really and, do die easily <laughs> and michael sacrifices himself so charlie and jeep and andrea audrey Aubrey. Can, oh, wait, oh yeah no audrey audrey, yeah. audrey can get away with the baby and escape but Gabriel yeets his brother and goes after them while they're getting away in the car and makes them roll over. So yoted be. So yoted be. And that is how Adria, uh, or Audrey goes out. Uh, she gets yote onto the pavement with uh, Gabriel. That's a, that's a bad yote. Somehow, yeah. the, somehow the baby survives the wreck along with Jeep and Charlie. They run away on foot. That baby must have had a guardian angel. Oh, boy. <laughs> bwah, bwah, bwah. <laughs> um, Gabriel chases after them. But Michael saves the day by exploding down onto the earth in his archangel form. I believe in film language this is called Gandalfing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he fights Gabriel and critically wounds him, forcing Gabriel to run off. And Michael leaves saying that he will see Charlie and Jeep again, and Charlie and Jeep climb the mountain with the baby and see a town haven on the other side next to a river. And they climb down and start driving off together. 
to raise that baby who's the savior of mankind. The end. Well, that seems like a perfect place to head into the delve. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, lore, making of, and critique of Legion. So guys, I think that this might have been a little subtle, but I want to point out that there was a few slight religious allegories in this film. Mm -hmm. It was hard to pick up on, but I think I saw them too. Yeah, like if you look at the main characters, you've got um, the 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 main guy's name is Michael, which is actually one of the archangels from the Bible <laughs> and Christian Christian mythology. Right, right. And his right. foe is Gabriel, which is the name of one of Michael's archangel brothers from oh, from the yeah, same story. That's right. <laughs> So I wasn't sure if you guys were picking up on that subtle innuendo. So Michael is the archangel of what? What's he the angel of? Justice? Uh, well, Michael is like the sword of God, the defender. So a justice, I think, is a fair domain to assign to. Okay. And then Gabriel, his domain is he's just kind of like a messenger. That's his thing. Prophecy and message messages so oh yeah makes sense why michael can still put up a fight with him despite not having wings or being an angel for most of the film yeah he hangs in there pretty good in that final or in that uh i guess penultimate fight yeah i forgot to mention in the summary that in the beginning michael cuts his wings off and it makes um, some kind of shock collar fall off of him so that he can't be controlled anymore and he can go rogue. Yeah, I mean, don't you remember from Bible school the learning about the angels' shock collars that are tied to their wings? <laughs> yeah. You gotta. Yeah. Of course. So, some of the other lore, we already talked about the prophecy. And, I mean, it wouldn't be a fantasy film without a prophecy. Right. So the angels are following the orders of God... And he orders them to love humans, and he, they've been trained to love humans for their whole existence. But it's kind of a tough love, I would say. Yeah, and then he, uh, in the lore of the movie, God just loses faith in, faith in man and wants to exterminate humankind in a major, like, judgment era and bring the war to humans. I don't know. Oh, angels can possess humans also. Yeah, it turns out that uh, all of the people who are attacking the main characters are actually possessed by angels, which I guess that means there's a lot of angels, and they're all just rip-roaring to kill off humanity as fast as possible. Yeah, in the movie, all of the lesser angels, because there's a hierarchy of angels, are called the Dogs of Heaven. Those are all the... Like, multitudes of lesser angels. Now, what I don't understand is, why is it that, I mean, because, you know, we see that the other angels, the non-archangels, can't, like, go after the baby once it's born. But, like, what's the difference between, like, a few minutes, right? Like, when, when uh, Charlie's, like, giving birth, it seems like they could attack. So I don't know if I understand that part. Yeah. It's really unclear. You know what? I'm beginning to realize that I don't think I want to talk about this part because it opens up a lot of uncomfortable questions about, uh, like, pro-life beliefs. <laughs> oh, well... That's what the movie is directly touching on, though. Yeah, yeah I was going to talk about it. Um, there's a lot of... There's um, a lot of anti-abortion. Ab abortion. Ab I, I think it's called abortion. <clears throat> Shmishmortion. Shmishmortion, yes. There's a lot of anti shmishmortion meshages. Orbitron, my great enemy. <laughs> There's a lot of anti-abortion messaging in the movie. Um, Charlie talks about like going to the clinic and deciding, feeling like she's making the right decision to get an abortion, 
and she, feeling really sure. And then while she's waiting there, she's just getting this inexplicable feeling like she's falling into a deep, dark hole and like she can't, she can hardly breathe and she can't speak. And it, she realized this was, must be what death feels like. And it's just this really, it's, a, it's demonizing the practice and um, making it seem like it's a crime against humanity or against God to get an abortion. Yeah, I did not care for that particular message of the film. No, me either. Right. I think part of that was that, you know, she was carrying the savior of mankind in her womb. and Was she? Because, I mean, that's definitely what the movie seemed to want us to think, but it didn't seem to reinforce that in many ways. It's true. I wasn't actually sure whether or not that was the case or, like, if it was some sort of Messiah reborn or if Michael was just like, oh, maybe if God sees that there's a baby, he'll remember that humans have potential. God is, like, this really angry, like, uh, raging character in the movie, but, like, as soon as he remembers that babies are a thing, it's like... Oh, but actually, people aren't so bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the god in this movie seems like they could change their opinions or their mind on on a dime, you know? On very serious topics, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, when Michael comes back in archangel form after he was killed and then he's brought back in uh, as an archangel and he confronts Gabriel. He comes back with his Estes flask filled, so he's ready for a boss fight again. That went over my head. <laughs> so Dark Souls. Okay. So, um, he, Gabriel is kind of complaining to Michael, and he says, how did, how were you able to be reborn? You defied our father. And, um, Michael just says, oh, Gabriel, you gave him what he wanted. You're just following orders. I showed God what he needed, which was mercy, showing mercy to humans. Is this like when millennial, uh, adult millennial children are like having to show their parents how to like use technology? Like, it's okay, dad. Like, this is how you use the VCR. You don't have to get angry. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> like, it's okay, Dad. Like, I know that, like, you get kind of upset about this whole thing, but don't worry. Like, this is what you really need. What you want is an iPhone, but what you really need is an Android. That's kind of like the message of the movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, about that whole idea of Michael trying to change God's mind. So we kind of were unsure while watching it whether or not it was God testing his angels by deciding to wipe out a huge population of humans or if God was hard set on wiping out humanity and Michael was trying to change God's mind in the end, which seemed very easy to do. But that kind of paints God in two kind of unfavorable ways, right? Yeah. One of them, one of them, Michael is like, humans are meant to be loved. And then God's like, you're right, that was, that was my test. That's why I murdered so many of them, just to test you angels. Yeah. Which doesn't, which doesn't match the message of the film. Or God was like, I'll wipe them out, no problem. And Michael was like, wait, don't do it. And then God is just like, ready to exterminate humanity on a whim. He's got his finger over the red button. And then... <laughs> the red button is Gabriel. Yeah. And then Michael comes back down and, and just stops him from murdering a baby. <laughs> and then God's like, you know what? I'm going to put this away. <laughs> like, I get it. We all love Terminator. It's one of the greatest films ever made. But... This movie's way of trying to pay homage to it does not work very well. It's true. And when you're looking at God's intentions in the film, you also have to look at the baby, right? Because if that baby was a messiah, that was God clearly just like kept throwing catching his own Hail Mary, right? <laughs> yeah. He's like I'm gonna wipe out mankind. Uh, just kidding. I I can't uh, messiah time. You know, it's like, 
It's like he pressed the red button, but he had his fingers crossed behind his back, and he's like, nope, I actually didn't. Right? Yeah. And you know what? I don't trust those that baby's intentions. I think he's a dick. Yeah, you think the baby's a real <laughs> asshole, huh? Yeah. I mean, most babies are really selfish and like don't really care about anybody but themselves. Yeah, it's true. Um, but yeah, uh, God's intentions. You're right. God's intentions in this movie are really unclear. I mean, we only get the messages through the archangels themselves, and it's their interpretation of what God wants from them so i think that they're flawed and they're just trying to enact what they think god's will is based on the orders they've been given but they kind of have the ability to kind of make their own interpretation so they can make mistakes and so i think the idea that michael brings up when he confronts gabriel that he thinks this is a test that god is testing them but that's just his interpretation also so we actually don't know what God's real intentions are or if he even wanted this apocalypse to happen or if it's just Gabriel interpreting what he thinks God wants. You know, I don't, I want to go on a limb here. I think that really, even though this movie is saying that it's about angels and possibly God's will in regards to angels, I think this movie is actually about us. Crazy thought, I know. <laughs> but I think that in this story, we are actually being represented by the angels, right? This is whether or not we choose to believe, as uh, Randy Quaid... I'm sorry. As Dennis Quaid's character says, I don't even believe in God, and Michael responds, that's okay because God doesn't believe in you. And I think the message of this movie is very much about having to live up to kind of these expectations of these authority figures and kind of giving deference, but also knowing when to stand up for what you believe in. But it's a very, you know, mixed message throughout the film. And I don't think it's handled in a particularly satisfying way. Yeah. You know, one thing I noticed is this is kind of like a Messiah figure being born right now, right? The what? baby. Yeah. And there's no dad really present. And that's sort of supposed to reflect Mother Mary from the Bible. And Michael is coming to make sure that baby is born and kind of tell the prophecy of what the baby is supposed to do. In the Bible, there are two births in the New Testament which are heralded by angels. John the Baptist and Jesus, right? Okay. And both of them, their message is delivered by Gabriel. Oh... And so it's little kind of twist. Turned, yeah, it's a twist that Gabriel is trying to stop this birth and that Michael is trying to facilitate it, I suppose. That's interesting. Another thing about the birth of the Christ allegory here is that besides Charlie being a single mother and having a pro human protector in Jeep, um <laughs> Jeep, he's so reliable and rugged. And just dependable. <clears throat> They're at this way station in the quote-unquote middle of nowhere. And she isn't able to get to a hospital. She isn't right. able to get to a proper place to give birth. Kind of like the story in the Bible where... Uh, Jesus was born in a cafeteria. <laughs> <laughs> where he's born in a manger because they couldn't find shelter in you know, a hotel or something. <laughs> <laughs> and they're in the middle of a desert. Jack, do you want to say something about this? <laughs> I would like to see, like, a hipster retelling of the Jesus story where he's born in, like, a cat cafe or something instead of a barn. <laughs> I mean, that was this movie, right? This is as close as we're going to get. <laughs> oh, God, I think the cats might have been rats in this cafe. Oh. Fair point. We Ooh, a rat cafe. And we never found out what the bloody thing in the ceiling of the cafeteria was, of the cafe was. I don't know why I think this place is a cafeteria. It's a cafe. <laughs> it's just ceiling blood, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. Every diner's got some ceiling blood. <laughs> How'd it get up there? It just seeps through every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Don't think too much about it. It's the blood from all the red meat they cook. On the griddle, and it goes up with the steam, and eventually it just drips back down onto the customers. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, this movie has a lot of setups with no payoff. Like, we have this scene in the beginning 
where the old lady, who is one of our favorite characters in film history, she's an angel-possessed old lady who bites out the throat of one of the diner's patrons. Um, she's rushing Jeep, and Jeep has got a shotgun trained on her, and he's got his eyes just clenched closed, and everyone's telling him to shoot her! Shoot the old lady! Do what's right! It's what God would want! <laughs> and he won't pull the trigger, and then um, Kyle, Tyrese's character, ends up shooting her. And, you know, it seems like it's going to be the setup to Jeep probably later on having to make a hard decision to maybe compromise his morals and and act in a heroic manner. And, you know, Michael even says, like, you're supposed to be protecting this baby. But there's no payoff to that at all. He never does anything that requires any amount of bravery or quick thinking. Michael just comes back and saves the day. Yeah, it's true. So there's no payoff. Well, I think actually toward the end, he does get to pull some heroics when they have to make a mad dash away from the diner and they're in the car. Jeep is driving and they aren't driving a Jeep. I don't know what's <laughs> up with that. That's messed up. That's what? unholy. <laughs> they really shot that product placement in the foot. It's true. They did Jeep dirty in that scene, but they're driving away really fast and then they can't drive off road like they could in a Jeep. You know, with that mud spraying all up on the sides and that hard rock classic playing in the back. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> yeah, they're driving away. And Jeep is, he, I think he is shooting back at Gabriel, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, but he, he, he's not, like, doing it well or effectively. Like, all he does is speed up the car and then slam on the brakes. I guess that's his pulling the trigger moment. Maybe. But I was kind of thinking that might go along with what the morals of this movie might supposed to be. Because not pulling the trigger is kind of what a lot of people might consider a Christian virtue these days. Okay, okay. I see where you're going with this. Yes. And then at the end, when Gabriel is defeated by Michael, Gabriel's telling Michael, do it, kill me. Right, he's he's right. asking him to do it, and Michael won't do it. And that scene, in my mind, kind of reflected Jeep with the gun. I I that scene was so ridiculous because when Michael is a like seems like he's about to kill Gabriel, Gabriel goes, "I would have done it," and we're all just like, "Yeah, we know. You literally just did. You just killed apparently Michael." Two minutes ago, we know that you would do it. <laughs> we just saw you do it. Yeah, that's pretty fresh in our minds still, Gabriel. <laughs> it was like less than five minutes ago where you used your crazy blender mace with a, I guess, like piercing dagger head extension to blast through your own rib cage and pierce Michael through the heart with it. Yeah, seeing yeah. two archangels kill each other is one of the most memorable things we're ever going to see. I don't think we're going to doubt your conviction, Gabe. Can I call you Gabe? Uh, I'd rather you don't. <laughs> I would have loved it if Gabriel called Michael Mike throughout the whole movie. <laughs> Michael called Gabriel Gabe. <laughs> that would be we're great. just palling around. <laughs> hey, they're brothers. Brothers fight sometimes, okay? I would have loved that if, like, at the end of the movie, God is, like, their, you know, parent, and they're like, what did you guys do? What? And they're like, we were following your orders. And then he's like, you mean this post-it note that's, like, 20,000 years old? I, that wasn't an order. <laughs> <laughs> that was an idea I had. It was just an idea. Kill all the humans. It wasn't a big deal. Don't make a big thing out of it. It fell out of the trash. <laughs> It was crumpled up next to a trash can. Why would you take that seriously? <laughs> we believed it was your will, Father. <laughs> so I think this is a good segue into... Class struggle. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> Guys, I can't lie. There's some subtle class themes in this to go along with the religious allegories. So at the very beginning of the movie, we've got these cops driving through L.A. And the one cop is looking out his window 
at the homeless people and the, you know, financially disadvantaged folks that are kind of moving around, scurrying around L.A. And the cop just goes, oh, I hate these people. I want to burn this whole city down. And, like, he's the first person we see to get possessed by one of the evil angels. But before that, right after he says that comment... He's miming with his hand as if he's going to shoot all the homeless people. Yeah, these are, this is not a guy that we want to be in any form of law enforcement or in any position of authority, really. Yeah, so this movie has some pretty clear negative messages about being homeless and erroneous ideas of how the people become come into that position. <laughs> and this may be a hot take, but you could argue that God could be considered one of the ultimate authority figures. Right. I mean, some people might think that. Yeah. <laughs> the message is very mixed, though. You know, another thing that uh, kind of ties back to this idea, though, you know, we see the homeless and the disadvantaged, the disenfranchised, like I said, kind of scurrying through the streets. That's the way it's shot. That's the cinematic language. This cop, this authority figure is demeaning them. But later on in the film... Gabriel says how the weak will turn against the strong and they will undo what has been done. Kind of this idea that the disadvantaged are going to rise up. And then that goes back to this idea of like the lower angels yeah. looking at it in terms of like classes. The archangels are the powerful ones, but really it's the lower angels who are possessing the masses and giving their lives to do the bidding of the archangels, who are then in turn doing the bidding of God. So there's this hierarchy where anyone at the bottom is getting trampled and their lives are kind of expendable for these other causes that are much bigger than them that they don't even understand. Right. Yeah, and what does the Bible say if not the meek will inherit the earth? That's like its whole thing. So maybe the main characters of this are kind of the bad guys. Maybe they kind of represent the power. I mean, maybe not. I don't know. I don't think so. They're they're pretty destitute. Yeah, themselves. that's true. But maybe just the messaging of the movie is just not working the way it's supposed to be. Because the masses are really the ones we should be the most concerned about, right? The most people. Yeah, and they're just dying in droves. Because not, I mean, it's, I'm guessing that not only are the angels who possess, or maybe the angels aren't dying. Maybe it's just the mortal hosts i was assuming that who are like their bodies are are crumbling and and you know covered in pustules and stuff and apparently explosive acid blood yeah yeah that was crazy it seems like humans are just fodder in their war against humans it's just kind of an awkward <laughs> imagery there that we got in the movie it's um i mean it's a real brother against brother story yeah <laughs> Um, and it all seems like it could be one giant test, like we were saying before, but if it is, it, it still doesn't make any sense, so. Well, a theme that we don't have to get too deep into, but I thought was closely tied to class struggle in this movie, was how this movie handles race, okay. which was kind of uncomfortable. It made me pretty uncomfortable throughout the film. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's, yeah. us perfectly suited group of people to talk about race. Yeah. Yup. So one of the chefs in the diner is an African-American man. Percy, my favorite character. Yes. He has one arm and one hook. Sorry. He has one hand and one hook. It's true. It's very cool. And he's a cool character, which means you might assume most of the cast or most of the characters would be pretty comfortable around other african-american people but we see one african-american guy in a car coming up to the cafe listening to hip-hop right he's one of the lost yes yes the man whose name is kyle approaches the pregnant woman charlie and he's asking her for a cigarette and he's asking her if she has a phone that works inside the cafe and jeep sees them talking and asks if she's okay. Yeah. I think the movie was trying to say, like, Jeep watches out for her and he sees her talking to a stranger, so he's trying to protect her. But it was so uncomfortable to watch because Jeep is kind of portrayed as kind of 
this hillbilly kind of out in the middle of nowhere raised kind of guys. And so him asking if she's all right, talking to a darker skinned man did not look good. No, no. bad luck. Also, there seems to be kind of a general distrust for Kyle a bit early on in the movie that does not seem warranted by the fact that Percy is treated well. But, you know, this could be a representation of how people become uncomfortable with certain, like, especially young African-American males. Yeah, many of the characters in the diner seem to be a afraid of him they look at him with fear or they seem like they're trying to avoid him or they seem like they look at they they treat him with suspicion and they like talk about how he's got this giant gun but like maybe it's a desert eagle or something but when michael shows up with bags and bags of machine guns and a bazooka nobody even thinks twice but after they are up there with uh, on top of the building with these machine guns they're still giving kyle shit about having this pistol yeah and like oh man like what do you need a gun like that for it's like dude you're holding a smg right now like why are you giving me shit yeah they're giving kyle shit for having one handgun that he says he had to protect himself um, he lived in Las Vegas and um, he says he never fired it but Michael who's played by a white actor like it's totally fine that he has all those guns <laughs> maybe this movie is incredibly intelligent and in commenting on the racial divide between gun ownership I don't know that was another thing Kevin at one point Kyle, Kyle at one point calls Michael a white boy I think he calls him white yeah and that really was like a kick in the head to me. And I was looking at the two archangels we see in the film, which are both white. And then I was looking at Charlie, who's supposed to have the Messiah or whatever inside of her womb. And she's like the freaking Aryan poster girl with like blonde hair and blue eyes. And I was like, what? What's happening? Why are all the angels and religious people white? Yeah. And there are black characters in the film. And you think they would throw some diversity in there. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, you know, uh, this is about uh, Christianity or religion from the Middle East. Maybe some Middle Eastern actors? Crazy thought? Wild. <laughs> yeah, that that was all very uncomfortable. Yeah. And just not handled very well. I mean, it just I, I guess this movie is falling back on what we think of as, like, classical depictions. And by that, I mean, like, the classical art depictions of white, blonde-haired angels, a white Jesus. Yeah. Kind of the stereotypical and very inaccurate, likely, depictions of these heavenly figures. Yeah, it makes some people feel more comfortable, I guess, if they think that religious figures would look like them, even though it comes from a different, completely different tradition and region. Yeah, that's true. Also, in addition to that, there's a common stereotype, and it's a really bad one, that African-American men leave when there's a child being had with one of their partners, right? And in this film, they kind of try to turn that on their head because Kyle has a daughter, I believe, and they make him really dedicated to family. And at one point, he heroically charges out to go and try to save what he thinks is a kid in need of help. Yeah. And that's kind of his folly. But spoilers, it's a... I was about to say demon, but it's an angel. But the movie... the In this movie, the angels are a lot like classical depictions of demons. Yes. Yeah, harmful outside entities. Sounds like a demon to me. But even Kevin... Kyle. Being, uh, sorry, I, don't, I have no idea why... <laughs> So even though Kyle is this really strong family man trying to be a part of this kid's life that he isn't allowed to be a part of, it's still acknowledging the stereotype, I think, by trying to turn it on its head. I don't know. It still seemed kind of like a bludgeoning way to be progressive. Right. Because in order for them to undo the stereotype, it seems kind of like they have to remind you of it. Right. And it's really unclear the messaging, like you're saying, because it's like that the part where he went out to save the kid is when Michael warned everybody that the angels were 
they were in the stage where the angels would be testing their weaknesses. And Kyle rushes out to save the kid, but it's a trap, as we mentioned, because it's really a possessed kid, but he doesn't know that. And so it's his, they're trying to portray that his love for children and care, being a caretaker is his weakness. And that doesn't, that is very confusing messaging with what Jack mentioned. I guess it's that it's his weakness in that it is the thing that matters most to him. So it is where he is most vulnerable. I guess. I mean, that's not an uncommon theme in movies that family is what can make somebody strong, but it can also make you vulnerable if you're going to sacrifice yourself or if your family can be used against you. And maybe it's a troubling trope in films, but it is a common one. Yeah. So... The takeaway for me was, throughout the film, almost everyone treated him like he was someone to be nervous around. Yeah. Someone to be attracted to, which is problematic in a lot of ways. Yes. Being attracted to people just because they're, like, exotic or different, which sounds bad because it is. Well, That's also, it. or just to be rebellious, like one of the characters was. Yeah, it's it's not good. And then he's like a stereotype turned on its head, which isn't good either. So I appreciate kind of what the movie was trying to do, maybe adding some realism or trying to kind of add like, a, hey, not everybody's bad or not everyone is this way. Don't judge someone based on how they look. I'm not sure. It was very confusing, like a lot of the messages of this film. Yeah. Yeah, it was not consistent, so it was it left it really unclear. <laughs> but so we've kind of touched on it. We could start talking more in depth about the theme of family now. That seems like a good idea. So parenthood was a major part of this theme. A lot you know, of the... you could say that God is kind of like the ultimate parent figure. Oh, yeah. Well, he is described by Michael and Gabriel as their father and them as the, his children. So it's true. But um, so along with parenthood, there's a lot of uncertainty in the movie. Mm -hmm. Like Charlie doesn't know if she wants to really be a mother. She says she's not ready for it and she doesn't really want the child. Um there's Kyle has uncertainty in whether he's not whether or not he's going to be allowed access to his daughter. You know, Bob feels kind of uncertain about Jeep's future. We're all uncertain. <laughs> We're all uncertain about Jeep's future. <laughs> it's partly the name. <laughs> it's very. It's almost one hundred percent the name. And this and the fact that he's kind of a meathead. And um, Audrey's parents, Sandra and Howard, who are like big city complainers they're also lost and in this diner this family and, and they're slut shaming their poor daughter yeah well they're uncertain about how she's gonna turn out because they feel like she's going down a bad road and they're trying to move to get her into a new environment and so all this uncertainty for the parents creates conflicts with their children or soon-to-be children um and everybody seems to be kind of ambivalent about being parents family am i right <laughs> And so there's a lot of intergenerational strife that's depicted in the movie through all of the characters. And a lot of the children that are depicted are kind of rebellious against their parents. And the it's kind of like the common trope where people in different generations don't really understand each other. Like I said, Michael just has to show his dad, God, how to use the VCR and then he calms down. Yeah. You know, we also have this, like I, I said earlier, this brother against brother theme with Gabriel and Michael. And, you know, they are clearly fighting over the approval of their father figure, right? Like, it's a battle between these two very different siblings who are viewed in very different ways by their parent. And they both want nothing more than the approval of their father, but they don't really know how to get it or they think they both think that they're right about how to get it. But I guess Michael is right and that it is that you have to kind of give people what they need and not what they want to make them happy. But again, like the messaging of this movie, we've said it many times at this point, is just very off and hard to follow. Because it changes every 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, and the ending is very slapped on. I, I can't imagine that there wasn't a version of this 
where Michael does not come back and Jeep has to make some kind of action or maybe Charlie does something to kind of like deal with Gabriel. Yeah. Because take, take it's... Take on a more active role. Yeah, I mean, this really stinks of like a test audience did not like the original ending where Paul Bettany died and we need to bring him back for reshoots to finish up the movie. Right, it did. And I'm just guessing here, but that is definitely what it felt like to me. This is a real Rambo walks away at the end moment. Yeah. Well, since we're talking about family struggle, I think it's a perfect time to move into evil, stupid, or misunderstood. Welcome to Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood, the part of the podcast where we take a look at the principal antagonist and determine if they were misunderstood or evil or maybe just stupid. So guys, Gabriel, what do we think? I think he's misunderstood. Uh, He seems to be really sad about what he's doing the entire time. He has sad face on. He does have major sad boy energy. And he's crying, openly weeping when he's having to fight against Michael and and hurt him. I like that part. I found that touching. That he doesn't really want to do this, but he feels like Michael is forcing him to follow through with this. Yeah, interestingly enough, that was one of the most real moments of the movie. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of showed that Gabriel was just following orders. But... Uh, I don't know if that'll hold up at the Heavenly Nuremberg trials. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think he might... Yeah, he might have to move to Brazil. (laughs) I think he might just be a little bit stupid, maybe just in comparison to Michael, because he isn't creative enough to realize that he might be being tested or to realize that there's another way. Or to realize that maybe what he needs is not his father's approval maybe it's the love of his brother yeah sometimes you know generations have to find unity and realize that it's somebody on a higher level of authority that is actually the one pushing them down right yeah maybe it's time that they give their father a little bit of space and kind of try to strike out on their own (laughs) yeah see that would be a great version of this where uh, Michael and Gabriel kind of like come to terms and then decide to go out on their own quest. Yeah, what do you think, Jack? Well, the thing is, Gabriel isn't really misunderstood as a character himself. I think we get him pretty well. He did misunderstand what God really needed (laughs) you know, compared to what he wanted which I think in this situation makes him stupid. And not that he's dumb, but I think per our category, he's he's got to be stupid. Yeah. Maybe a little misunderstood. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've got consensus then. Now that we've got that settled, I think it's time to head to the smithy. Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a rating for this movie after we each share an epic moment or feature from the film. Chelsea, do you want to share your epic moment or feature and then give us your rating in 1 to 10 angelic blender maces? Yeah. (laughs) So my epic moment is when Dennis Quaid, a.k.a. Bob, is about to die after he's been yeeted by Gabriel. And he's got his lighter that his uh, late wife gave to him. And the stove is leaking gas because Gabriel threw him into it. And uh, Gabriel just is going to walk by him. And then he sees that Bob is trying to light the lighter. And he's flicking it and flicking it. And then it zooms in on it and says, Hope. And then... (laughs) The lighter. Yeah, the lighter says Hope on it. And then um, he finally gets it to light and the entire fucking cafe explodes. This is after everybody else has escaped from it. 
So that was my epic moment. I loved it. Joke's on Dennis Quaid because Gabriel did not get affected by that at all. He just flew right out of the diner. Yeah, womp womp. Uh, I'm going to give this movie 4 out of 10 spinning angelic maces. They sure had a message that they tried to hammer home with this film and they just didn't know what it was yeah they were really unclear about what they were trying to say and so that really came through in the film and uh it was also very cheesy (laughs) so that's my rating jack what do you got for us my real epic moment was when michael dashed out to save audrey who was locked in a car and he had to kill a bunch of possessed people that were climbing on the outside, I suppose. So he pulls the nozzle out of the gas station and he squirts the gas out and u- fires off his gun and uses the spark to create an improvised flamethrower to just melt everyone around. <laughs> Super epic moment. That's how you can serve ammo, but not gas. Everyone look out for the environment. Not cool, Michael. Not cool. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to have to give this movie three blender maces out of ten. Okay. It did some cool stuff. It had a few cool ideas, but I, I didn't like the pacing. A lot of the messages were uncomfortable. I feel like the Godfather meme from the movie The Godfather, where he's like, they massacred my boy when I look at my religion portrayed in this film. <laughs> I'm like, what have they done? Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there were parts of it which were neat. So, three out of ten. That's fair. How about you, Jamie? Oh, Just tell us. I'm glad you asked. My epic moment is when Sandra, Aubrey's mom, has taken the baby that has just been born and is planning on giving it to Gabriel because she thinks that it's going to mean that Gabriel will just let the rest of the humans go and, like, everything will be fine. He'll get what he wants and they'll just be okay. Classic movie moment, right? Where one of the stupid uh, commons believes that the villain is going to show them mercy for giving them what they want. Right. Foolish, obviously. But, uh, so she's getting ready to give the baby to Gabriel. Michael shoots her, which is just insane, and she throws the baby up into the air, and Jeep dives forward and fucking, like, 50-yard line football dive catches the baby like a fucking football. Well, the baby's flipping through the air like a football, too. (laughs) like, tumbling through the air. Jeep dives forward. This is, like, his Al Bundy moment, right? Like, the game-winning catch grabs the baby. And the baby was born minutes before. Yeah. And he doesn't support the head when he catches it either. No, this is the newest of newborns. Minutes old, and it just gets tossed in the air, and Jeep dies and catches it. It is insane. Yeah. (laughs) I was laughing my head off when this happened. I can't imagine giving this movie any better than three out of ten blender maces. I really wanted to enjoy it. There are some moments in it that are just so outlandishly great that I really enjoyed the whole experience. But it is just, the messaging is so uneven and it's so unclear what point they are trying to make. The acting is very wooden and very few uh, standout performances in, in, in the entire cast of people I really like. I mean, Tyrese and Paul Bettany and uh, Dennis Quaid a lot of times does really good performances. I've always been a fan of Adrienne Palicki, even though she's not, like, the best actor in the world. I think she's very charismatic, and none of that comes through in this movie. Yeah. So, yeah, three maces. Hate to say it, but that's how I feel. That's what it's going to be in the history books. So I guess it's time to head to the bounty board. Awaken from your fitful slumber, drenched in sweat, heart pounding. You look around and you find your room familiar, but as you peer down, you notice an odd glow 
on your arm, angelic script begins to slowly appear, tattooed onto your flesh. Though the letters are at first unfamiliar, they begin to take form in your mind, and they read, Bounties? So, guys, I thought it'd be fun. While everyone is stuck at home, sheltering in place like you should be, keeping everyone safe, keeping yourself safe, keeping your neighbors safe, keeping your friends safe and your family safe, it would be a great idea if everyone would find what they can from their wardrobes to cosplay as one of their favorite fantasy characters and then post pictures to our Twitter or Instagram of themselves dressed up as their favorite fantasy characters. That would be awesome. I know. What a great idea, right? We can post pictures of ourselves in our favorite cosplay as uh, three characters from the Castlevania show. Ooh, I like that idea. Yeah. So go ahead and, and join us in the fun. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's going to be fun. Because cosplaying is fun. <laughs> and safe. All right. Well, with that covered, I think it's time to rewrite some history. Welcome to Rewriting History, the part of the podcast where we take the movie we just watched and discuss an idea for a sequel, a reboot, or a spinoff of Legion 2010. So guys, the whole time while we were watching this movie, I was hoping that the final twist was going to be that Charlie actually was pregnant with the Antichrist. Me too. And that Michael had turned against God and that this was going to be like a, a an omen type of scenario. Yeah, where everybody is actually trying to protect something that is, ends up being allied with the evil forces or dark forces and they realize they've been working against their own interests all along. Yeah, I thought that would have been the perfect twist. I was so disappointed with the ending of this movie. So let's rewrite it. Okay, so my idea is that um, Charlie's pregnant with the, <laughs> the Antichrist. Uh, no, so I mean, I think that a lot of the setup can be pretty much the same thing. Like, I want the whole time to be this misdirection where Michael is saying, like, I understand God's will, I understand. But then you get that twist. I have an idea that could change the way that the possessed people work, too, in this scenario. Oh, okay, let's hear it. Um, so at first it could be that the possessed people are angels, same deal, mm -hmm. but we should have I'm them... I'm following you so far. We should have them look distinct... Uh, from the trope of how possessed demonic possession looks like in film. Yes. Uh, because so far, the the way it's recreated makes it look exactly like demonic possession. And for my idea to work, we would have to differentiate it. Okay. So um, maybe like their eyes could become opalescent white. Yeah, glowing. Yeah. And they don't get sharp teeth. Maybe they just get super strength and speed or something like that. So... In the beginning part of when we start to see the apocalypse happening, the possession is all angelic, but they look different as I've described. Now, once Michael comes onto the scene, people think he's going to be saving them and they'll be relieved of this. So they've been getting attacked by the possessed people before he even shows up. So that part is different from the movie too. And um, they've been trying to hold them off on their own. So Not they just the old lady. Right. Who is still in this cut? Yeah. Oh, she's... Gladys is always going to be in this movie. If anything, we are beefing up Gladys's role. Yeah. She should be talking to them a bit more. And so um, they think Michael is their savior and that he will get the other angels to go away. And then once he shows up, it's nighttime, right? So it's hard for them to see what's going on. And they just hear a lot of fighting out there and they can't really tell what's happening. And the next morning, they see a bunch of possessed people standing there, but now they all have black eyes. Oh, okay. And they all have kind of like undulating, more feral movements to them. And they aren't trying to attack the cafe anymore. They're just standing in a ring around it, almost like a protective barrier, like uh. a meat shield. And we find out later that it's demons possessing these people. 
And so we actually have demons into it because we didn't see anything from hell represented in this movie. Yeah, talk about a lack of representation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they have the black eyes. They have more feral movements. They have the sharp teeth. And um, they learn that through interactions that they're actually demons. Like some might come in and actually like parlay or Michael might say that he's going to go parlay with them and they overhear like their conversations. Okay, know? yeah, right. And they get the idea that they're actually demons. And so maybe it's Kyle that overhears this and tries to warn the rest of the group while Michael's outside. But nobody believes him. Right. And um yeah, so maybe when he goes out, he could still go out to try to save that kid, but then when it clearly it would be possessed by a demon probably at this point but then when they venture farther out from the cafe they would see all the dead bodies of the people that were possessed by the angels and so the possessed demon people had killed all of them right yeah and so you get the kind of classic uh war of heaven versus hell thing which is very iconic classic. and i think that th that is something that was missing from the original film yeah, it's kind of a war between heaven and heaven, which is interesting in its own regard, but... They were trying to do something different, but it didn't really work. Yeah. It's true. I think one thing that got me caught up was, it seemed like it was supposed to be the apocalypse, but they kept making references to the flood, which kind of differentiated it from Armageddon. Yeah. Which is the classic Christian apocalypse. Yeah, somebody even says, like, I think Michael says the last time... God was angry at humanity, he sent the flood. And this time he's sending the angels to uh, do his dirty work, I guess. But, like, we also see some of the biblical plagues, like... I mean, mostly, I guess, just the locusts or the swarm of insects. Yeah, pestilence. The Yeah, the pestilence that uh, shows up uh, in a concentrated area and just kind of doesn't really do much other than make uh, Kyle and Audrey's family like turn around in their car and go back to the diner. You're giving me an idea. What if the blood dripping down from the ceiling was supposed to be another biblical reference and it was supposed to be like raining blood, but if that was the case, it was not enough. No, yeah, I think we would need it to start like pouring from the ceiling. Yeah. yeah. What other, what other plagues can we get in here? We have a bunch of frogs. But, I mean, I don't really think that's that bad. I, I honestly think of a bunch of frogs going around. I think that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, you could have had them run out of food. The entire time, they were cooking up steaks and being like, no reason to go through the end of the world hungry. And, but that's one of the plagues. Famine. Right. All, yeah, the food should just start rotting. Yeah. Right there, surrounded by all this food, but suddenly it's just gone bad. Or they keep eating it and they can't be satiated. So that's a different version of the trope. That's so much more messed up. Yeah. They keep eating, but they never fill up. Yeah. That's that's more psychologically damaging. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, and then I think just in the end, uh, the Antichrist is born and uh, he reigns over hell and earth for 10,000 years, right? And brings suffering to all mankind. Sounds about right to me. Uh, all right. Well, I don't think we need to add any more details. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we can print this one. Um, let's move on to the side quest. This is the side quest where we suggest another piece of fantasy fiction for you to engage with after, instead of, in place of, Legion. And this week we want to suggest that you check out Lucifer, the television show. It does a lot of the things that I think this movie was trying to do a lot better. You got it. I think... It's a lot more clear with its messages of angels that support and defy God. And it does it a lot more nuanced than this movie because there are angels in Lucifer similar to Legion that think they're doing what God wants, but in reality are going against the things that God stands for. And it kind of turns out to bite them in the butt in a more dramatic way than Gabriel in the film Legion. But... There are consequences to their actions, and in the show Lucifer, you get to see a lot of the characters, angels and humans, having to kind of 
make up or learn from their mistakes, which you don't really have to see in Legion. Yeah, it has a similar theme of like kind of an unknowable god who, you know, people might try to please, but it is very unsure if that's even possible. Uh, Lucifer as a primary character is much more compelling than any of the characters in this film. He's much more nuanced and complex. He sees himself as a particular way because that is the way that he has been kind of told he is over the years and he is dealing with that complex. Right. The central idea is that we kind of make up our own fate and it's not God controlling it for us. Yeah. Much, in the story of the show. It's a much better version of what I think this movie was probably trying to go for. I would also like to mention in Lucifer, not all the angels are white. Right. Yes. Amenadiel, one of the main characters of the show. And death. Yeah, Asriel uh, is a female angel and a young Asian actress. Yeah, so a much more diverse cast and just a much better version of, I think, what this movie was trying to be. So check out Lucifer. It's also a uh, procedural cop drama, but where the devil is helping uh, the police, which is hilarious. I love it. All right. Well, on that note, we'd like to thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed your time with us today. Remember to take those cosplay pictures and post them on our social media. As always, you can check us out on Facebook by going to the Swords and Satire page and give us a like. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter so you can keep up with the sweet, sweet memes every week. And uh, maybe even find out uh, what movie we're going to be watching next if I remember to tell you all. Yeah, and we have an email if you want to message us directly. You can email any of your questions about us or about the movies we've watched or about what maybe what we're going to be covering next. Um, our email is swordsandsatire at gmail.com. Yeah, shoot us a message. Tell us how you're doing. We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends and have them send their recommendations. Well, guys, until next time, Hail, Hail Crom. Crom! Hail Crom. Hail Crom.